need anything before I call? Hello. Oh, well, hey, John. How are you today? <clears throat> Hi, Dan. How are you doing? I'm pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? You're in uh, Hawaii, right? Can I say that? Is that a thing you've released the information about that or do we not? Yeah, I am. I'll edit it out and never air. No, no, no. It's, it's fine. It's, uh, you know, we do it every year. And of course, um, the reason that we went to Hawaii was because uncle Jack was here and it was the, it was the chance that I had to spend a good solid amount of time with uncle Jack every year. And uh, Uncle Jack died just this fall, um, late late November. So you know the whole family kind of reeled from it. weren't sure what to do with our lives, even. And um, so we decided to come anyway. And um, it's <clears throat> it's been good, although you know, Dan, it's hard to you can't just step back into Aloha. Uh, I saw, uh, I saw a graffiti the other day that said emerge with Aloha. It was painted on a wall here, emerge with Aloha. And just the choice of those three words, <clears throat> I've been saying it over and over in my head, emerge with emerge, first of all, with Aloha. And I'm I'm always trying to figure out what what aloha means and what I mean by it, mm -hmm. but that particular construction is giving me a lot of instruction. Emerge with aloha. So that's what I've been trying to do, and um, and I I don't know. And how do you, how know. do you accomplish that? And then what do you well for for those who are listening who don't understand what you mean when you say aloha? What are <clears throat> what are you talking about when you say that? What does how that could, mean? How could anyone listening not know what I'm talking about when I say aloha? You know, there is a brand new listener um, every single day. Think of it like that. Oh, there's someone new. Welcome. <clears throat> someone new has shown up, and they yeah. don't know what it means. And so hello. Yes. Hello, welcome, uh, new people. Mm -hmm. I recommend you go back and listen to whatever shows <laughs> they were that where I talked about Aloha. But I don't know what I mean by it. I was thinking about it the other day. You know, I think that I have tied Aloha to the turtles and the behavior of the turtles, namely that watching the turtles and the fish on a reef when you are snorkeling and trying to, um. Well, it all started because I was having panic attacks and just just generally feeling a tremendous amount of panic, borderline <clears throat> panic right. in my life. This was this was a couple of years ago, and um, you know I was a middle aged guy who right. had never really felt panic and didn't even acknowledge feeling anxiety. In when you my say, life. when you say panic, are you talking like legit full on panic attack style thing? Or are you saying just, just a kind of generalized anxiety disorder kind of thing? Or was there an episode or how do you, how would you describe what you were experiencing at the time? Uh, I, you know, I know people experience panic in, uh, in a spectrum mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are people listening to the show right now that just hearing me talk about it is making them uneasy mm. because, because I got to that point. I mean, I made the huge mistake of when I was having a panic attack, Googling panic attack 
boy, that's not what you should do. That just made me feel a thousand times worse. But, you know, I've always, I'm claustrophobic and I've always really been afraid of having my, excuse me, having my breath restricted. Right. We talked about that on on an early episode, I recall. We talked about your concerns about being enclosed and that kind of thing. But, you know, I've always been very susceptible to colds and flus and sinus issues and lung issues. And uh, I got to a point in in my life where I just didn't ever want to. Well, what happened was I started to. I started to think, as you do, I think, when you're like when you are fighting panic. Right. I started to have these thoughts like, well, one day I'm I can breathe fine right now, but one day I'm going to be really sick again and I won't be able to breathe. And the thought of one day not being able to breathe caused me to start to feel panicky. Right. And then I would then I would feed that panic by saying, you know, one day I might be completely unable to breathe. One day I might. What would happen if you know, and then famously, of course, in my head, I was like, what would happen if I got handcuffed and put in the back of a car and someone put a bag over my head? What would I do then? You know, just like cra- just just spiraling all about breathing, all about not being able to breathe. And so, you know, I went through this phase where because this long time before COVID, um, I was still getting colds and I was on an airplane. Right. Uh, during this period and had a head cold and got that feeling where I couldn't clear my ears. Oh, right. That you feel trapped, right? You feel constricted and restricted and incredibly <clears throat> trapped. And I was just, I was absolutely freaking out. And the flight attendant came over, could tell I was freaking out. I was sitting at the sure front of the plane. So I've seen the, that before, right? Yeah, it was a, it was a guy and he was just like, are you okay? See, you know, see kind of I assume it was a woman. See what's wrong. What's wrong with me? Well, it's just the, it's sorry. Uh, and I was like, I just feel like I can't, you know, get my, my sinuses. And he came back, you know, he was concerned. He came back with the, the old trick they do where they put a hot rag in a, in a cup Ew. and said, put the, well, no hot rag in a cup. No, and then stop they there. Put this o- is like a family friendly, um, show. <laughs> you put it over your ear. <laughs> you put the hot rag in the cup, hot, hot towel. In a cup, and then you put the cup over your ear. You put a hot. A t- wait a minute. Wait a minute. A hot mm-hmm. rag. Yeah, a towel. A Those hot, hot towels they give you when you're in first class. A hot towel in a cup. Is it? What makes it hot? Is it wet and hot, or is it just heated in a microwave? Like a. You've like had a, a hot, you've had a hot towel. You're talking like you get at the Japanese place before you eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a little damp. But they're not like so. It's like they're not hot, and then they put that in a cup, and you put that on your ear. Yeah. And what does this do? Dramamine stuff? No, it clears your sinuses. I mean, not completely, but it le- it allows the whatever the pressure equalizes. Also, there's a little bit of it that feels uh, like a placebo effect. You know, like it just feels like oh, I'm doing something. This this guy gave me this this magic trick that he learned in the Amazon rainforest. Uh-huh. 
about a hot a hot towel and a plastic cup over your ear. Right. But it does work, and they've been give, they've been handing me that stuff since I was a little kid. You know, it's like this is flight attendant magic. Hold on, hold on. I, you know, I'm gonna. I, it's not that I don't believe you. I just don't believe you. Yeah, sure. Hot towel, cup, ear, sinus. Okay, that's what yeah. I'm looking up. I'm looking that up. Beep, boop, 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 boop. What does the internet say? Okay, the first res- cursed first thing is on a Colorado or Colorado, as you say, ent and allergy, ent and allergy. I'm watching. Mm-hmm. I'm watching Lord of the Rings. So I called it an ent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, it says here are some remedies for sinus pressure in the ears. And it it says over the counter decongestant, pain medication, blowing your nose, saline rinse, steam. Yeah, they're covering all the bases. Um, Didn't occur to me to blow my nose. Hot, moist washcloth on the face. Drink yes. plenty of fluids and avoid fast movements and bending over. But it doesn't say anything about putting it in your ear. You didn't. You didn't put flight attendant into your search. Okay, hold on. No, I did not. Let me do. Let me do that. Sinus flight attendant. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see what we beep, got. Beep, 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 beep. Airplane ears make flying painful. Remedies for airplane during ear pain during takeoff. The best trick for getting your kids' ears to pop while flying. Those are the three articles that I have chosen. Uh, cup. I'm going to search cup. The stewardess was very familiar with hot cups. These are styrofoam coffee cups with a paper towel in the bottom and a small amount of very hot water poured into the cup. Then the cups are held over the ears. The mm-hmm. steam helps the pressure stabilize and eases pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's <clears throat> that's how that's, they do it. If you're if you're sitting back in steerage, they give you a styrofoam cup <laughs> with some hot to- hot paper towel in it. Oh, here's another one that says on this other page in USA Today, your your publication of choice up there in Seattle. It says if nothing sure. else works, ask your flight attendant for a polystyrene foam cup, a paper napkin, and a second cup with a little hot water. Crumple the napkin into a ball and soak it in the hot water. Put the wet, bald napkin in the other cup and hold it over one ear. The steam from the wet paper will relieve the pressure in your ear and soothe the pain. Ooh, yes. massaging a bit of petroleum jelly in each nostril will help your nasal membranes stay moist and clear. Hmm. Okay, well, John, anyway. I, this is a new new one on me. Well, thank you for this. I'm going to Of course. Well, it's note. just... You know, this is uh, this is Air Traveler 101. Or I, I did not know that. I guess it's Air Traveler 201. I was going to say, this is advanced stuff we're dealing yeah. with here. This is, this is sophomore year stuff. 101 is like, have your driver's license out of your wallet already. This is advanced stuff. This is big time. But it does work. And if you ask a flight attendant for this remedy, they will know exactly what you're doing and have it on hand. But... Uh, I went from having no panic attacks to feeling like I was on the verge of a panic attack all the time. And mm. once I got the the three or four different pathways to it, one of them was imagining that one day I was going to be so sick I couldn't breathe. One of them was, um, <clears throat> I mean, it was it was all in that family. Honestly, it was all about breath and. I could go a million different directions, right? I, if if you can't if you can't clear your sinuses, if you know it's it it felt at the time to me the same as being buried alive, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that for for the amount of fear I could start to generate. And there were a couple of times where I just didn't know, you know, I, late at night, all by myself in my house, um, 
I would start to freak out and I just wouldn't know what to do. You know, you're pacing around like, um, and I, and I didn't, because I, none of this had ever happened to me before I was 50. I'd never taken an interest in, you know, Merlin's talked about panic for years and I, I always was like, Oh, well, I, you should probably chill out then or what, you know, I didn't take any interest in, what it what it was it's there are so many anxiety disorders and hearing people talk about them if you don't have any oh it's like any it's like hearing somebody talk about depression if you've never had depression right you're just like oh well maybe you should try and go out for a walk you know all that crazy stuff that people say where it's like have you thought about feeling better and so (laughs) now i (laughs) now i had this right have you you ever considered that john why didn't you look into that yeah, did you consider not panicking? And you know, in panic, uh, the the word and the idea of panic attacks, it, it it's another. It's in that family of, um, like of emotional responses to thing to things that 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 feels a little weak. You know, it sounds weak. I, very early on in my twenties, because of the grunge era, um, depression was made to feel literary, and it's always been—I think, I guess—it's always been true, right? Like, you can connect depression to Hemingway and to uh, Van Gogh, right? Depression doesn't depression doesn't feel connected to like a lack of personal strength and willpower. It does a little like any, any sort of mood disorder there's within the mainstream culture, a kind of feeling like, well, why don't you just get better? You know, there's not a lot of sympathy, but even as somebody that suffered from a lot of, you know, emotional tumult, there are also there are ones that I considered looking at, and you know, and I think it's a it's a it's connected to like my generation's idea of what's masculine and what isn't. But the idea of like a panic attack or anxiety, like those didn't feel those felt like things that you should just fucking suck it up, you know. When I, when when people used to say it to me, um, like it was very hard for me to. Although I was somebody with a lot of, uh, like emotional pain, I guess, um, that I was wrestling with all these different things that were products of, well, bipolar and alcoholism. And I, you know, and I guess ADD and whatever other hundred things, but then there's a, you know, there's a bridge too far. Like, you know, we spent a lot of time. I mean, I've watched that, or I've looked at that picture of the person that brought their comfort turkey on the airplane, and I was like, uh, "That, would, you know, that was one of the great moments of the mid 2010s was that picture of the comfort turkey." But you know, and I think that comfort animal thing was an, was, and the way that that was exploited by people, that you know, that they connected the fact that they had self-diagnosed themselves with a anxiety disorder connected to now their the fact that they needed to bring their their pygmy goat on an airplane with them (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so I, you know, is there I didn't a limit a on, what's, of, on what's allowed to be brought on, do you think? Well, there is now. I think that all the airlines realize that people were exploiting that and they've, they've chopped it way, way back. I think everywhere you look now, there are signs that say like, if you have an actual dog that's actually licensed, you can bring it into this park or restaurant or onto this airplane. But otherwise, like, no, you can't just bring a duck because it makes you feel better. <laughs> well, they but, poop, they you know, poop a lot, the ducks. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's, it's runny poop. I mean, it depends so, on their, so, their diet. They're, that means they're getting too much fiber if that happens. I don't know. I've never fed a duck. Well, that's not true. I have fed ducks, but I've never, I've never, I haven't fed a licensed duck. So I, I think the prop, one of my responses to panic was feeling like, um, I, and in a way it made me understand that there was something wrong um, because I felt like it was undignified to have panic or, to, or to, certainly to talk well, about having. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems it seems like a weakness, right? It seems like you're incompetent and you're weak or vulnerable or something, right? And guys are taught to never feel that way. And if they do feel that way, certainly never admit it, never discuss it, never show weakness. Yeah, in particular, because it's not... No one was denying me breath. I was not as unlikely as it is that I would have a bag put over my head and stuffed into the trunk of a car. It's not impossible, but it's certainly not something to, uh, it's not something that would explain why I'm walking around uh, my bedroom at three o'clock in the morning trying to, you know, like hyperventilating. It's not going to happen right now, you know, like save, save your panic for, and so right during that period, and you know, during that period, I was also experiencing a lot of financial panic, right? I wasn't earning enough money. I was, uh, I was in debt and I'd worked really hard to never be in debt. You know, I always lived within my means and, and if I wasn't making a lot of money, I would. I would close off all the all the rooms in the big house until I was just living with the hot plate in the in the corner under a bare bulb, uh, and I was always fine with that. You know, I live within my means, and that's my that's my way. I I would never complain. It's part of the life of an artist. You don't you don't make a lot of money for a long time, and then it's um, then it's eb- it ebbs and flows. You put out a record, you make a little bit of money. You go on tour, you make some money, and then you come back and you you're you're not making money again. But what happened was during the year that I was, or the two years, I guess that I was dating millennium girlfriend, you know, she was a very wealthy person and it's not bragging, with, but whatever w- within our dynamic, there was, well, she the, was like a high powered. Um, can we say what she was on the air? We've just said that before. She was a lawyer. High powered attorney is the way I would describe her. Yeah. High powered attorney. Yeah. But with, within our relationship dynamic, Were there you, was, was she sort of sort of like a sugar mom, mommy, mama for you. No, it was the other way around. Oh. Within our within our dynamic, there was a uh, a very strong, uh, and this energy came from her, but a very strong like uh, 
Well, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show explicitly, mm. but there was a um, encoded into the very foundation of the relationship was a um, what they what they call a well capital D slash lowercase s um, dynamic. Yeah, you know, I think you had talked to me about this, but I, I don't think we yeah. talked about it on the show exactly. Pop- popularly understood as a daddy baby uh dynamic that was you know that was play it was part of play but it was also part of uh no i just is there a fundamental way that she wanted she wanted us to conduct our relationship is there a place that i could go if i or or that our audience could go uh where they could look up what a capital d slash lowercase s stands for or oh yes you could i mean it's dominant submissive but you could you know, you could pursue these lines. Is there like a eight. lower, a lowercase D and a capital S? I mean, how does that, is, is it like, like with capital L for libertarian and lowercase libertarian? Like, is there, is that a thing? Well, that wouldn't make sense to except except you've, you've hit on something, which is that uh, in my experience of traipsing around that universe, if you go look for capital D lower, if you look at dominant looking, submissive looking, looking. culture, yeah, and particularly the uh, the daddy baby um, universe, what you'll find is a lot of the information, a lot of the posts, a lot of the energy. I would say the vast majority of the energy is coming from the quote unquote submissives. Okay, so so okay, I'm learning this by listening to you and reading this also that a capital D slash lowercase s, it's not like there's different variants where there's a one is a capital and one is a lowercase and there's a different it's just that's just how it's abbreviated. Yes, right. Okay, understood. And and for instance, you know, in a lot of our communication, like she wouldn't use capital letters as a way, you know, she would write me, but there wouldn't be any capital letters. How could you date someone who didn't use proper capitalization in their text? Well, because she did it intentionally <clears throat> as a way of of communicating submissiveness. Oh, I see. She wouldn't use she wouldn't dare use capital letters in writing me. Now, this energy was coming entirely from her. I had never had any interest in that kind of uh, that that wasn't part of my sexual culture. And I, you know, growing up on Capitol, and by growing up, I mean, you know, my young adult life and, and middle adulthood on Capitol Hill in Seattle, I was surrounded by, um, sex culture, right? Mm-hmm. It's the gay neighborhood. It's the queer neighborhood. It's mm-hmm. also the sex positive neighborhood. It's the young people neighborhood. And I, I was, you know, I had friends throughout the whole fabric of people with alternative sex, uh, as part of, you know, some, some people where it was a major part of their identity, some people that just sort of, you know, kind of came and went through different styles. Mm -hmm. And I was among all of the people that I knew kind of widely regarded as a vanilla and, and I was, I was happy to be a vanilla. Vanilla Um, is defined as like, uh, someone who has, uh, non, non DS kink sex, right? Yeah, there was nothing kinky about me, and I was, and you know, and I, there were a lot of people that that uh, that teased me about it um, because you know, I was in situations all the time where where kink was 
was implied or uh-huh. where there was an there was a, a, a an invitation was extended and i was like i was just i was kind of well known as somebody that was like no that's fine you know y'all get your leather on and go get get in your swings and and good luck but i'll be um i'll just be riding my 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 unicycle over here you know like i just didn't it didn't appeal to me. It wasn't where I got my jollies. And I think I always felt like, well, sex is complicated enough, right? Like just having somebody else around that you allow to touch you and that you touch them, they allow you to touch them. Mm -hmm. Like that's very, very complicated right out of the gate. There's nothing. I don't really need to add any additional spice because when, a when another person puts their hands on me, that's pretty electrifying mm-hmm. as that somebody enough. that did that was enough for you. Well, and also like incredibly challenging, right. To, to be a lover to someone and have them be a lover to you and have it be mutually fulfilling and have those experiences be real and authentic. Like, wow, it's so hard to get every, to, to you know, to squeeze every nuance out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, introducing like any other theatrical component or, or feeling safe enough to say like, actually what I'd like is if you called me daddy, Mm. that never was a, that just felt like, why would I, I guess what I felt like was if you knew somebody and you were so together Mm. and so with them that you wanted, that you felt comfortable then saying like, you know, tickle your ass with a feather. Um, that would be, that would be an amazing, that would, that would demonstrate an amazing, uh, evolution, but to come right out of the gate, like to walk in on with somebody that you are just getting to know and saying like, so then I want clothespins on my nipples. It just felt like we're, you couldn't possibly have figured out how to have good sex before you're trying to have some intense sex. And you know, the people that would, would mock me would say like, yeah, well you, I mean, you're so vanilla that you don't even understand the first thing about sex or. Okay, so so my question that then is not to, not to interrupt what you're saying, but if you were clearly vanilla, mm-hmm. why would an experienced capital D slash lowercase S girlfriend or girl be, into you wouldn't you think that she would want is and and my a bigger question is isn't that what she wants then you know like wouldn't she be looking for someone who's already maybe in that or did she maybe identify you as like she thought you would be in into that i'm just curious how that happened well dan that's a very very penetrating question yeah. and, a, and a and an excellent question and one that i that i also asked but I think that uh, throughout my life, and the reason that I'm that I found myself over and over and over and over kind of in uh, kink adjacent and invited into these scenarios where it was where I then was like I'm pretty vanilla actually, uh, is because I present like someone who is very much a closet dom. Mm-hmm. I have I have the I have the energy I have the the appearance i have the uh the pheromonal um 
I guess it's not an energy. What would it be? It's just I have the pheromones of it. People constantly, you know, and, and you see it in certain neighborhoods, walk down the street, just the way people look at me. I, I read as a dom. And I think within the culture, like within any culture, there's always a feeling that if there's a certain percentage of people that are in the closet in any kind of kink scenario um, or queer scenario, like there are people who are closeted and in a lot of cases don't realize something true about themselves or are denying something about themselves. And when I'm, when I met millennium girlfriend, that was very much her take. Like you are, you don't realize it, but you are a daddy. And I was like, I don't think so. And she was like, you absolutely are. And what I'm saying about the culture is that the, the submissives, the babies are actually the drivers of the, of the culture and the energy you want it. You want to think that like that culture is driven by the big, tough, dominant, you know, dudes. But in fact, it's all coming from the little, um, submissive people. Like they're, they're doing what's called topping from the bottom. <laughs> and it's, I it's like absolutely how much you know about this. This is great. Well, you know, Topping. I went through this whole experience, mm. but in fact, it was a thing that. Now, what when I hear topping from the bottom, my whole life, what what that what topping from the bottom means is probably what does that mean? I mean, can you explain that? Well, there's there's a lot of performance, and a lot of the performance is, um, you know, people are trying to inhabit the performance they want the performance to be to be real they want it to actually reflect their um their day day-to-day -day life and in a lot of cases i feel like what happens is um and i'm i'm gonna just use kind of a, some cisgender talk here although this this applies across all spectra mm -hmm. but at least in my case you know my the fact that i'm generally attracted to women that are very small. Mm -hmm. What um, do you do? What as, do you define as very small? Because you yourself are quite a large, robust person. So I'm very, large and very small to you well, might be above average to, to the rest. Well, no, of that, I think that's what's, that's what stands out about it is that I've had a lot of, of girlfriends that are five feet tall and a hundred pounds. And I don't feel like I'm choosing them. You know what I mean? Like in the, in the, in the main, I feel like the women in my life have chosen me and I kind of stand there like a big ox. If anything, that would be passive. And, That's the opposite of, of, of a D that would be. A well, th th this is precisely what I'm saying. I, my feeling is that in a lot of cases, these, um, the women that I've known have been very, um, have had a, a lot of energy and a lot of, and it's not manic pixie energy. It's <laughs> a lot of intensity and they feel out of control. They feel that their emotional life is out of control, that they are personally are out of control. Mm -hmm. And there's something in the tradition and an exaggeration of the traditional gender dynamic of like a big dad who lays down the law 
the appeal of that to them is that it's going to give some structure to their life. You know, that they're, they're not going to feel as out of control because there's a big man here who's going to um, draw the line on things. And he's going to have it be a certain way. He wants it a certain way. And, it, and so they are play acting a kind of like, uh, they, they, you know, they, they say, well, then the component of that is like, I'm, I'm in service or like, I'm, I am a, um, you know, this big man needs my help and, and I do what he says. And there's, and, the, and the, I think the appeal for dominant guys in that scenario is that it also flatters their gender, gender expectation that like, I'm the big guy and I'm in charge. And you need to, this is what you need to do. And the girl goes, okay, you know, whatever you say. And it's very, very uh, theatrical and exaggerated, but it's driven by the, by the women because the, the guy, if you think about the dynamic, the guy's dynamic is very uncomplicated. It's just like, you're a big guy and you're in charge. I can see why looking at you, John, that. Like a person could look at you and think confident, big guy, you know, no problem, you know, being the center of attention, you know, someone gets up in your, what do they say, grill, you're going to take them down. You, all, you have all the, from the out, out, outside, you seem to have all the qualities of that. You would seem to be telegraphing that to people, I would think. Yes. But but emotionally, I'm uh, much more complicated than that. Oh yeah, you know, like yes. emotionally, I'm like, do you do you do you love me? I mean, do I am I okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> and one of the first things, which is that you like learn, opposite of the the absolutely opposite. D thing, I would think. Yeah, one of the first things I learned in uh, in trying to unco- uh, like figure out what what role I was here to play. I read over and over on these online forums, all these, I'm just, I'm just going to call them babies because that's what they call themselves. Now you don't Submissives. have to be a, a daddy and a baby to be in a capital D slash lowercase S situation. Do you? No, 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 no. It's a, this is a subset of okay. it. Oh, you okay. know, it's a subset of like daddy baby is like the, it's a, again, a further exaggeration. Like the girl specifically, adopts kind of you know the the very um very like cliched and exaggerated uh like qualities of femininity that border on infantilism or you know she she talks small she acts small she wears clothes that are small Mm -hmm. and then i'm supposed to act big and be big and and I am big, you know, uh, uh, personality wise, as you say, like, like, uh, this is kind of the, the appeal, right? The, the sort of c- feeling of command. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these, these, uh, forums, the, the, what the, what the girls would say is don't ever ask if you're doing it right. It's the last thing we want to hear. Never say, is this right? Is this what you want? Like we want you to be in charge. So if you, if you ever break character and say, Am I doing it right? You like have spoiled the whole thing. Right. 
And of course, my whole emotional life is predicated on, am I doing it right? I mean, it's not just like in sex. I walk right. around all day and my whole thing is like, am I doing it right? Is this good? Am I all right? Am I like, am I standing in the right place? It's the, it's the foundation of keep moving and get out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, let me get out of the way and I'll, I'm also going to keep moving. And is this good? Are we, is everything, everybody okay? Everybody, you know, it's not a, uh, I do not go through life feeling like step aside. I've got Mm -hmm. this under control and I, and I do perform that, but that's not how I feel in, in inside. And, you know, sex is a place where I'm as vulnerable as I am, as I ever am. Sure. And I, and I try to be right. And so anyway, to insert that dynamic and to connect it to sex was very, tricky because on the one hand you know the 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 exaggerated gender behavior is very liberating to someone who's grown up in a post-feminist world where men are not supposed to be that way women are not supposed to be that way we're all supposed to be um you know working toward equality trying to trying to redress imbalance rather than exaggerate it trying to and you know and at, at its furthest extent there there's that kind of like well we all are wearing gray linen now and you know w- there's not a part of the incredible excitement in that world is that it allows you to play these these games that are actually very natural which is just like well you're the big one and I'm the little one so I guess you're in you're in charge and I'm trying to keep you happy like that's just so basic and and it the excitement of it is really really ramped up because it goes against everything we've not only that we've learned but everything we're trying to accomplish in society right in society we're trying to uh you know develop new systems that uh, that free us from the tyranny of like, well, the big loud person runs the show and the little quiet person mm. has to take it. Right. Um, and in fact, the 20th century is all has been about, and, and particularly the last half of it in America has been all about working exactly counter to that idea. We're trying to let small, quiet people and disadvantaged, you know, people with that are not <laughs> big, strong, loud white guys have equal say, equal part. So the excitement of it is, is connected to a very simple taboo. Um, and, and the taboo gets at, you know, it, 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 it lights a fire under all those questions of like, well, wait a minute, is, is some of this even redressable like at a certain point if your girlfriend is five feet tall weighs 100 pounds and you weigh 260 pounds um there are natural dynamics to that that i've kind of spent my whole life uh trying to redress just in the home right like that that produces a lot of uh, not exactly anxiety but connected to anxiety like are you okay is this are you, am I hurting you that, that in the end, I, you know, what I, what I heard from 
my girlfriend and what I learned in this, you know, kind of being in this universe for a couple of years was that, you know, they get tired of hearing that, mm-hmm. right? They want their, they want their guy to be strong and to be strong and be like, are you okay? Is this all right? Are you fine? You know, like to express that and to try and equalize a situation with that. They don't want equalized that they are like, no, 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 you're big and strong. You just be that and let me be small and weak. Um, so, so going on the forums and meeting people in this community and talking to my girlfriend and trying to figure out what the culture was and what the expectations were, I was learning that this culture and this energy is coming from the women, but they don't want that. They, they're really driving it. They know what the rules are. They know what the expectations are, but they want you to be the one that is saying it Mm. because again, they don't want it to be where the guy is like, am I doing it right? right. They what, don't what, want what to. Am I, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed yeah. to say? They don't want to be like, here's how it's supposed to be. But that's actually the dynamic. Right. And that's that's topping from the bottom. Uh. That's that's the little girl telling the, the dad how to be the, how she wants him to be. And at least in my experience, that is how the dynamic always ends up being powered, even if the role-playing is super well figured out, even if the scripts are really followed, Mm. because for it to even work, you know, if it's really, if it was really coming from the guy, if he was like, you know, walking around with a, with a writing crop saying like, you missed a spot, then it would be what we would consider an abusive relationship. Of course. You know, there are plenty of, Plenty of those where the guy is a dictator and the girl has no op- no uh, right. You don't no even need, need to have a name for that relationship. It's just everywhere. Yeah, it's just it's just abusive. Yeah. So in order for it to be kink, in order for it to be in this family, there has to at some level be an understanding that it isn't just that she's consenting; it is that she is powering this energy. And that the guy and that the guy and and this is the problem for me with it all was that what it what I think that dynamic ultimately requires is that the guy not be very sophisticated Mm -hmm. because to really play that role out and to be it's one thing to be like uh, titillated I think and this is vanilla coming again but like it's one thing to say like i really like that outfit on you and i really like the feather the feather duster and the you know and you say you saying calling me sir like i like all that but also at a certain level we're actually in a real relationship and you're actually my girlfriend and we want the world to be a better place and and that's just you know you've already broken character right what what in order to remain in character, I would have to be, I would have to be simple. Mm. But what that produced among a thousand other difficulties that we had in syncing up what our expectations were. And, you know, and she's the classic case. They say, 
that all the dominatrixes in the world are all uh, the guys that they're spanking are all CEOs right. who are in power all day, and then they want to come uh, say yes, mistress, and have a oh, girl right, put her right. high, it's like high a, heel on their head. A, a vacation from the responsibility or something. Right. Yeah. My girlfriend was was a tech lawyer and was um, you know successful and and uh, domineering, I guess, in her in her professional life. And then this was kind of how she wanted her personal life to, to go. What do you think is more common, John? Do you think it's more common for someone who is a powerful leader to want to be a powerful leader in these situations as well or what? I, I, I don't know because I don't, I don't, what, what this relationship did to a certain extent for me was kind of free me up from feeling like those, those, um, more traditional power dynamics Mm -hmm. were caustic or toxic. Right. And I think before going into this relationship, I would have thought, well, that's a really toxic energy between two people for one of them to be like, I'm in charge and you're the little one and the little one be like, I'm all I'm trying to do is make you happy. Mm. I would have just seen that as a very bad vibe, but coming out the other side of it and realizing like, Oh, as a form of play, um, and not just play like, okay, I'm going to put on my hat and you're going to put on your hat and we're going to do this for an hour, but like play as a, as a component of your relationship where it's always present and sometimes you forget it. Sometimes you just go on the roller coaster and you're like, "Wee!" and, and have a fun day at the beach. But you know, those little things like, well, where are we having dinner tonight? Um, she just wants me to choose. And that's part of the, the playful dynamic that is, now kind of encoded in the whole the whole understanding how we are together but realizing that that's fine that that isn't toxic that that if if both parties consent to it it is it can be amazing and when i would talk about this relationship with my with my female friends cuz that was ultimately where i had to go Right. I couldn't ask her if I was doing okay. I couldn't go on the forums or meet other people in that community and say like, am I doing it right? Cause they didn't want to hear it either. So I started to go to my lady friends. Um, and almost universally my female friends, some of the ex girlfriends or, you know, I guess probably a lot of the ex girlfriends, but also not ex girlfriends, just female friends, they were all extremely curious about this and titillated by it. And, you know, we would sit and they would kind of turn it over in their hands and say like, wow, what would that, what would that be like? Like, what would it have been like when we were dating, if you had been like that and I had been like that and you could see how it was a notion that hadn't occurred to any of us, right? It had never occurred to me and any of my girlfriends that there would be uh, that we would allow that dynamic in the room. It was all, we were always working for the opposite. And so I guess, you know, at this stage of our lives in our forties, 
introducing this just into like, you know, I would call them up and say like, Hey, can we get dinner? I've got, I got to run some stuff by you. And they'd be like, great. We'd meet and I'd say, okay, here's the deal. I'm dating this girl and here's our thing. And they would be like, what? Whoa. And, and uh, uh, this happened over and over. Like this wave would wash over them. Like, whoa, tell like me they, more. Like they were into it or they were just fascinated by it or they wanted to try no, it or what was that? Well, well, both like you're fascinated by it. First of all, and because of the taboo and because of the like, are you kidding me? But then thinking about it, it was, it was the same reaction I had. Like, what you mean? You mean, I mean, it's the, it, it's for a liberal, for a progressive liberal person who, who thinks about equality in kind of universalist terms, mm-hmm. um, the idea that you could have this safe space where it was like, no, no, no. In this, in this game, at least we're exaggerating the inequality Mm. for effect for, and they, you know, and I think the appeal to them was like, you mean I would just get to be like the, the Femi little girl and you would be the big tough guy. Ooh. And it, you know, and it was, I mean, I think that that watching that happen to so many women I knew and women that I knew were like very powerful in the world, self actualized, self-actualized creative to see that them have that reaction. I was like, Oh, okay. There's more to this. You know, this is liberating. Just knowing this is liberating because, because it opens up the world of possibility that, that this traditional gender stuff is not just about, um, is not just about reinforcing evil. It isn't just, you know, it doesn't recapitulate patriarchy. It isn't just evil. There's stuff in it. That's interesting. That's, you can explore, you know, that is exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the problem was all in the fact that in fact, she was a very dominant person. In fact, almost every baby I ever met and any woman I've ever dated is very dominant. They're very dominant people. And so the dynamic and the desire, and I think the desire for me as a, as in the way that I appear as a very dominant man uh, the desire is that I'm going to be the thing that keeps control over them and keeps the whole thing battened down. And as we've discussed many times, I'm a terrible project manager. <laughs> like the last thing I'm good at is keeping charge of a whole bunch of balls in the air because I spend a, a large portion of my day uh, with a spiral notebook open on the table in front of me and five words written in it. And then I'm staring out the window for the next two hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she would come home from her hard day at work. And what she wanted was that I was focused on her and us because she'd had a hard day at work and she needed to come home. And her way of unwinding was to turn over all of the keys and all of the authority and all of the energy to me. 
and now she could relax as the as the baby as the as the femme and she would come home from work and i would have been staring out the window all day watching the leaves change and wondering about my own nature and i would say hey babe how was your day and she'd be like oh daddy and i would go oh right 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 how was your day i mean i don't even care how your day was uh you know make me a sandwich you know and it's just not it was it was not where i was coming mm-hmm. from I mean, and it sounds to me like that's actually a lot of work for you because you can't, from the way I'm hearing you describe this, and I've, I've talked to some other people who, who are in this kind of a relationship, is that it, it actually requires work on your part because you need to come up with assignments or look, look for mistakes to, to come up with punishments for or whatever, you know? Is that true? Is that accurate? Yeah. And and that's what I mean when I say that I feel like the men that are best at this are are uncomplicated. Because I mean, I guess if I was working all day at a forge and came home at night and wanted to just keep on working at the forge, yeah. I mean, I or or maybe if I worked all day as a as an administrative assistant somewhere just taking shit off of other people and then I got to come home and be the big a big deal. Right, I mean, right. maybe, maybe that's, May, yeah, the you dynamic. know what? I think it is the dynamic that you want. Exa- exactly what you just said. It's the, there's the guy, there's the guy who's like, has no, n- n- you know, in his career or in his daytime or whatever, he's got like no respect and no responsibility and n- no one who's doing anything. He says, and he gets, he comes home and he gets to live that fantasy of like, now I get to tell her what to do and she likes it. It's like you almost need yeah, that I, dynamic, I guess. I think so. I mean, I don't want to be reductionist about it because I'm sure there are a million ways you can do this. But for me, you know, I am a pretty dreamy dude who is not trying to accomplish any goals. <laughs> you know, I got no long-term goals. I've got very few short-term <laughs> goals. Like my goal is to get to the end of the day and feel okay and hopefully, you know, make something along the way. Right. And it's not really about other people, honestly. You know, it's not, I don't sit there waiting all day for my significant other to get home so that I can come up with tasks for her. For sure I don't, you know. Um, And I like to be waited on. I like to be catered to. Mm Mm-hmm. But I like to be waited on or catered to like a, like a boy emperor, not like a, you know, not like a, like a boss. Right. I don't know. Interesting being a boss. I want to lay on a divan and have, oh my God. you know, like bring me some fucking cherries, I guess, if you want. But, uh-huh. um, and so so our our dynamic never fully uh settled because because I never fully I don't think I grokked it but also you know I, I I did not understand how liberating it was going to be for her the day she never had to think about anything anymore because I was doing all the thinking I got that uh, but I think I got it later 
that that was the that was the freedom she was looking for. Right. It was the freedom to have me be in charge of her. In charge, tell her what to do, figure her her stuff out, and right. yeah. And then well, she could go to work and be in charge of forty people or whatever it was, mm-hmm. or you know, or four people or what, or or in charge of forty upcoming tort uh, cases. Mm-hmm. I, she wasn't really a manager. She worked with other lawyers, but you know, in charge of whatever billions of dollars. And then she'd come home, and I would tell her what to wear and what to eat and what to what to think. But the problem, it one of the problems it caused for me in that two year period was that what went along with that was that I all you know I was also. Um, like I bought her dinner and outfits and plane tickets, you know, it's like she wasn't, I mean, she was very uh, frugal and weird about money, but she had a lot of it and I didn't have very much of it, but the dynamic for her needed to be that I pay for things. Right. And I understood it. I understand it. Even though she was the, the rich one. Yeah, because because it's part of the, you know, it would not do for her to put a bunch of money into a bag somewhere and pretend to lose it, and then I would take that, I would find that money and use it to pay for our vacations. <laughs> right. So, and and although I was very clear, like, hey, I am a, a musician who does some podcasting and the podcasts don't pay any money <laughs> and you're used to living. You know, she grew up in Europe. Like she's used to living a certain way mm-hmm. and I can't just, I mean, look, nobody loves a $800 sushi dinner more than I do, but I can't buy that type of thing all the time. Like the way that I live high on the horse is that, People fly me places and buy me things. Like it's the whole benefit of being an entertainer is that you get sailed around on these junkets. Like, oh, I'm going to LA this weekend and it's all expenses paid because this company wants me to do a thing. But that doesn't mean that I go home and, and, you know, eat guinea fowl (laughs) for dinner every night. Like I go home and eat macaroni and cheese with hamburger and I'm so happy. So by the end of this two years of being in a relationship with her, I was out of money in a way that I'd never been before. I mean, even when I was out of money, even when I made $900 a month, I wasn't out of money because I knew that I made $900 a month and I lived as though I did. And my rent was was appropriate because back then you could live on $900 a month and have an apartment. And I knew how much I could spend on cigarettes and how much I, you know, and I lived downtown. So every restaurant I went into, I knew somebody that worked there and I had to pay for the scallops, but I could, but they would count my entree. So I never felt poor. Everybody I knew was was poor yeah in the sense that we didn't have money but we weren't poor we were you know we were rich uh because we 
we went to plays whenever we wanted. It wasn't that we were poor. We just, we didn't use money. But now here I was 46 years old and, and I had used all my money to, I mean, uh, what little there was to, um, squire my girlfriend around and make her feel cared for. Um, and you know, and she wasn't, uh, she definitely like if, if she, like a, no girl is going to look at me and say like, here's my meal ticket. <laughs> right. I mean, you can just look at me and say like, well, you he do, cuts you his do own have hair. That, John, you do have that Patreon now. So maybe, maybe <laughs> that's do. changed, you know, <laughs> but it was never, it was never a dynamic in any of my relationships that, that anybody would look at me and say like, this guy is going to treat. Yeah, he's yeah, not a sugar dad, right? right? And right. if if anything, dating this guy is going to be more expensive than it's worth. <laughs> um, but because it was part of the dynamic, we couldn't break that character, right? And by two thousand, yeah, by two thousand seventeen, first first quarter two thousand seventeen, um, for the first time in my life, I was in debt and considerably in debt in 30, $40,000 in debt because I'd kind of just been like, well, it's all going to work out down the road, which is also not how I think, you know, I mean, in a, in one way I do in the, in the sense that I don't ever have a plan for anything. Mm -hmm. I assume it's all going to work out, but I'm not somebody that's like, put it on my credit card. Uh, and, and this kind of snuck up on me, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't looking at my bank statements and going, oh, well, it's a, here's another 10 grand I don't have. It was like, because, because as a creative person, you kind of feast and famine, you know, you make 10 grand and then it sits there for a little while. And then you go through a period where you don't have any, you're not making any money and the 10 grand goes away. And then you're kind of down to zero and then you make another 10 grand somewhere. You know, it all comes in at once, right? I get checks quarterly, for instance, from the music. And so you could be down to a couple hundred bucks and then third quarter checks would come in from BMI and from sound exchange. And all of a sudden there'd be a little bit of money in my account and, and you know, you burble along. And so I was burbling along as you do, but then I went down to zero and when those checks came in, uh, they just covered the, the, the debt. And then all of a sudden I was at zero and I was, I was at zero at the long, at the wrong end of a long fallow period. And by the time I got to the end of the long fallow period, and then a couple of checks came in that weren't worth anything. And then it's like, wait a minute. I just went from fine to super not fine. And I did a thing I'd never done. You know, I sold, I sold guitars. Like, like your, like, like your own collection of guitars. Yeah. Guitars that I'd had for decades. Um, I had to go look at them and say like, well, which ones are worth any money? I mean, most of these guitars aren't worth anything. They're, they're, bashed up old guitars that I've played for years that weren't worth anything when I bought them. And unlike smart people, 
back when guitars weren't worth very much, I didn't buy the ones that would one day be worth anything. I bought the ones that weren't that were worth fifty dollars then and are worth two hundred and fifty dollars now. Um, instead of the ones that were worth five hundred then and are worth right. twenty five thousand now. Right. But the ones that I did have that were worth some money, I had to sell, and had to, you know, I sold some of my some things. And as a, as a collector, that's not what I ever thought I would have to do. And I sold those things and just got back to a toehold. I mean, I was still in debt. I just got out of what felt like the kind of debt that if you don't get on top of it, it just turns into, it becomes a self-fulfilling spiral, right? It just, it, it, it's, it's a spiral at that mm-hmm. point, <clears throat> which is a thing that I, you know, raised by my mother, there's no greater terror than, you know, she's one of those people that is like, well, we're eating tin cans because we can't afford aluminum cans. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to eat a can. She's like, sorry, that's what we have. When I was a kid, you know, the, my mom's sister and I split one box of 25 cent macaroni and cheese. And I don't, I don't mean it to sound like when I was a kid, we used to, we dreamt of eating a cardboard box, but I was not prepared to be, uh, in a death spiral of debt. Mm-hmm. I worked my ass off to never be that. So that was a major component of I think looking back, what was powering though that anxiety panic of 2017 and that that's real, you know, when I look at my Google photos for 2017, it was an incredible year for me. Just, uh, just astonishing year. Uh, because at the start of it, I was, um, I was still very, very deep in my relationship with Millennium Girlfriend and then, you know, and was, was in a very, very panicky, uh, I had just started Omnibus. I had just started Friendly Fire or I'd started them the year before maybe, or I was starting them then, um, but they weren't earning any money. And then I was King Neptune all of a sudden out of Mm, nowhere mm -hmm. and just on and on and on. And I had, you know, and after I broke up with millennium girlfriend, I had a a really great relationship with a, with a woman that had come in and out of my life a couple of times that was both, you know, it was both medicinal and also it was its own kind of fraught. So by, by two years, three years ago, I guess 2018, by the time I came to Hawaii in 2018, I was coming completely unglued. I just was not well. I was scared to get on the airplane. I was in such a panic. And when I got here, I, uh, you know, I love to snorkel, but I'm not a very good swimmer and I'm not, and I'm very afraid of the water, to be honest. Really? You know, I think we talked about this at one point. Yeah, I'm sure we did. How you're, how you're I, you know, afraid the, of the water. Yeah, the, I mean, swimming is like the absolute worst combination of super boring and super scary. 
Um, but snorkeling in Hawaii is wonderful. It's just that the sea is often rough. The, um, there's, it's not a very, you know, it's, it's dangerous. It's sketchy. Like people die snorkeling in Hawaii every year. 20 people a year die snorkeling. And I do not have that confidence of like, well, I'm a great swimmer, so I'll never get in trouble. Like I'm not a great swimmer. I do feel always in trouble. I don't float. I'm, I'm one of those people that, that floats, but with his nose and mouth, six inches underwater. So, you know, like my corpse would float. Uh, you'd be able to see the top of my head bobbing, but I'm not somebody that floats with his shoulders out of the water. Like, like so many lucky people do. <clears throat> so I wanted to snorkel, but it was precisely like breathing and, and fear about breathing that was setting me off on these incredible panic attacks. And that was just sitting in a room imagining not being able to breathe. That wasn't floating with my face in the water trying to breathe through a tube. While, whilst trying to swim, which I'm not good at. And so I would go down to the beach and I would put my snorkel on and I would put my head underwater and there's just no way I would just pull my head out and be like, no, fuck this. Yeah. But I love the experience. You know, it's the closest thing to flying and especially somebody, you know, that, um, that weighs as much as I do. The feeling of weightlessness is really so nice it's nice to not be so fucking heavy for once. And so I would go down every day and I would put my snorkel in the water and I put my face under the water and I would, you know, I would feel that panic rise up mm. and I would pull my face out and just be like, can't fucking do it. You know, I, I just want to interject a statement here, John, and say that I think that <clears throat> I feel differently about this having you know, we've done a show now for what? It's been like five years or something. It's been a long time. I think so. So I feel like I, 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 I get you now, but when I first met you and Lucky. started talking to you and even having listened to some of the other shows that you did, I don't know why, but I feel like there is a perception around you that lines up with what you were describing millennium girlfriend thought about you when she first met you. And I really do think that people come into this thinking almost that you're like an ex-con in a way. You know what I mean? Like you're tough and like, like nothing, you know, but the reality is like, you're, you're like the most sensitive guy that I know. Yeah. And I think, but I think the perception of that for whatever reason, it, it doesn't seem that way. And I don't know if it's because you are a, 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 a tall, big guy or you have the deep voice, or you seem like a dad. You do seem like a dad. We're mm -hmm. not very different in age, but you seem like a dad to me. And mm -hmm. we're in basically the same age group. Mm -hmm. But you still seem like a dad. Like, well, John will know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and I think that for maybe the women that, that are, were looking at you in that way, I think you you definitely come across that as being that. And I think you probably come across like uh you know, un Uncle John, Big Uncle John. 
<laughs> you know, and it's like no matter how big the adult male is, there's a bigger adult male who's kind of like his uncle who can help set him straight, you know. And I don't know why, but I think I think it has to be a visual thing too. And a mannerism thing. And uh Yeah. Like it's all of that. And as I've been listening to you talk about this for, you know, the last little while, I don't know. I just, it just really like I can see why people would think that about you. I think it makes sense. And then I think once they get to know you, they're like, oh, he's actually not like that at all. He's like very sensitive and, and not, and not like that. It sounds like I mean, that's, that's what the, happened. That's the challenge because I am like that, right, you know? Right. And you are actually still like that in it, a way too. <laughs> it, it, it's just that, it, you know, it, that, that there are a couple of other layers. Right. And down in, you know, down the deeper you go, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, well, I'm just more and more sensitive, but you know, like after a, a year after I stopped seeing millennium girlfriend, I was at comic con and I was there with a, with a gal, mm. uh, one day walking around the, the floor, the big floor there in San Diego. And there are tens of thousands of people milling around. They're all dressed like Batman. It's a, it's a crazy scene, super loud. And the, um, the gal I was with, I said, Hey, do you mind if I just put my hand on you? Uh, so we don't get separated. And she was like, great. And I put my hand on her, you know, on her, uh, shoulder and it just gradually turned into like, I kind of had my hand on the back of her neck. Right. And we were walking around Comic-Con and I was just kind of, you know, I could, she's small and I'm big and I can see ahead. And so that's one of the best things about being big. You can see ahead in a big crowd. And so, you know, she was in front of me and I was kind of steering her through the crowd. Like we're going to go this way, just gent gently kind of moving her through the crowd. And we spent all day together in this environment. And the entire time I had my hand on the back of her neck. And to someone looking at us as we walked through, it would have seemed, I mean, there are a lot, there are, there are hundred million hot takes in the naked city uh -huh. and there are going to be people depending on who they are and where they're at that are going to overlay that image with their own fucking problem about mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Right. And there are going to be people that are going to look at that and say like typical blah, blah, blah. And there are going to be people that look at it and have a, have a million fucking, I mean, I'm sure in the wrong situation, there would be someone that would walk over her over to her and say, are you okay? You know, there's a million takes, but what was happening was we had fallen into a very natural and th and this is not a woman who it had any 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 aspect of like dominant submissive uh, interest, but having my hand on the back of her neck was turned out later as we talked about it was a tremendous comfort to her, and she loved walking through Comic Con with me just gently steering her through the crowd.
knowing that I was behind her, knowing that I had my hand on her, she felt guarded and protected and safe. And it hadn't, it had no, um, lasting sort of ramifications about like how much input she had on where we were going to have, what we were going to have for dinner. You know, like she's still, and she's definitely somebody that's like, in most cases to most people, like, don't touch me. Mm-hmm. And a lot, and a lot of other things, like also like, don't ever, don't ever lock me in a room. She said one time, if someone, if I, if someone ever put handcuffs on me, I absolutely would chew through my own arm <laughs> before I would sit and let myself be handcuffed. Right. You know, like she's, she's definitely not a, she's not playing around, but, but this was a, this was a very simple dynamic and and a powerful one and it was for me too i felt purposeful i felt like i uh i was in charge and it was and it was testament to how comfortable we were with each other that we could do that without it being weird you know without we were very close and so we could do this and not have to navigate all the fucking political questions. Mm-hmm. So that is true of me. It's very much in me. I am a dad. I am a dominant person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do want to be in charge. And if somebody has a question, I do have an answer. And if, um, it's just that I have other things to think about besides, um, being your boss, first of all, and second of all, the the deeper down in me you drill, the more you're going to find that there are, there are certain kinds of soap that I can't even be in a hotel that has that soap in the in the back room, um, let alone that I can just that I'm you know like universally bulletproof, right? Like I'm sensitive, too too sensitive in some mm-hmm. ways. And, and, and I think that this whole anxiety experience and seeking a path through it was one of the things that made me realize, uh, and, and accept that there were vulnerabilities that I hadn't allowed myself to have that I started to feel like. I wasn't holding it together anymore and having held it together through so much crazy shit, how could it be coming apart now? I mean, I, I held my shit together through, uh, really hard times, you know, and of, of all stripes. And I never doubted that if I was alone in a room that I was fine and cool one, one time in the early drug years, a couple of times, I guess when I was really, really messed up on drugs, I felt like I was on the verge of going out of control. Um, and in both of those cases, I clawed my way back, but now here I was like, not on drugs, not no, no threats to me. I'm in a comfortable house. I've got, you know, like, both feet on the ground and I'm freaking out worse than I did when I was, you know, when I was tripping balls in a strange town being, being guided through life by a ghost wolf. 
I'm freaking out more now. And it was, it was down on the beach with the snorkel sitting in the shallows, in the sand with people all around me, you know, scuba people coming in and out, all these people with their fucking spear fishing and children running around and fucking turtles on the beach and eagles and tiger sharks and whatever else. And I'm sitting in the shallows like a little toddler putting my face in the water, holding it there as long as I can. And then going, <gasps> no, you know, and, and just doing that over and over until I could, until I could do it until I could put my face in the water. And then I would move 10 feet out into the water and I would float. And then I would come back to shore and take the mask off and breathe. And then I would put it back on and go out 10 feet and float. And I just, I just worked on this and it had everything to do with breath. Mm. And in trying to find a connection between like slowing my breathing down and by so doing mastering my panic. And it took me, you know, at the end of a day, I would feel like I had done, you know, I'd done enough. I'd gotten out there. I'd floated around. I'd swum around a little bit. I came in a couple of times. I wasn't able to do it, but I kept doing it and kept trying to find that, um, whatever that place was. I mean, I was, I was putting myself in a situation that what, I mean, I was, I was already having problems just laying in my bed, but now I was out there like absolutely restricting my own breath and putting myself in, in real danger of, of drowning. But in doing it, and one of the things that helped me, and this is what Aloha was to me, was that watching the, watching the, 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 the sea creatures and watching the, you know, the, I think I talked about it at the time as being a thing where watching a turtle sitting and eating lichen off the side of a rock and the wave would come in and this giant turtle who has no natural predators and does not give a f single fuck about anything. <laughs> the wave comes in and it moves the turtle five feet down the rock and the turtle has absolutely no agenda the turtle had no interest in going back to that place on the rock, not fixated on anything. The wave moved the turtle five feet and the turtle started eating some lichen five feet away. And then the wave moved the turtle over here. And I mean, the turtles know which beaches they like to go. The turtles have a plan. They're doing stuff. They're living their turtle life watching the fish, watching everything under the ocean and realizing that the, that the wave action, the way the ocean is moving is that's true in our lives too, in a way that we're not conscious of because they're not conscious of it. The wave comes in, they move over here, the wave goes out, they move over there. And if they were trying to fight the, the motion of the ocean, they would get exhausted and die. It's only that they, 
go with the flow and realizing that in my own life, like that wave action is present and I'm usually very good at going with the flow and I'm eating a little bit of lichen here and then a little bit there. And when I try to stand somewhere athwart it and, and hold it back, maintain some position I think I need to be in, you know, I, I exhaust myself and die. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out what that was and, and feeling like there was a kind of aloha that was not passive. It wasn't, um, it wasn't that I'm just, you know, the, the ocean isn't just moving you around and you have no say it's that you're going, you're everybody's, they're all in motion. They all are doing their thing. But this time, and the thing is snorkeling is it's, it remains a thing that I have to overcome panic the entire time, right? I, I go in the water the first day I have to just lay there. I have to be close to shore. I come in and out a few times. I go back out there. I lay there. Gradually I start to, to move around, you know, by the fourth day I'm, I'm all over the place, but I'm always very conscious of keeping my breath regulated, never working too hard, always aware that if I get in trouble, I just have to stop moving and float. But I realized on this trip that the thing that calms me most mm -hmm. is not even watching the fish. It's the fucking sea anemones. It's the little blobs that are hanging on the, the bleached out coral and the, and the big boulders. It's the little dudes with the wavy arms mm -hmm. that whenever I'm trying to calm my breath, what I do is I'm floating over these little anemones and I'm just looking at them. You know, I'm out of my head. I'm not thinking about my breathing. I'm uh, inevitably I'll be like trying to get my breath, trying to get calm, trying to figure it out. You know, what do I do? And then I see a sea anemone and I'm like, Oh, sea anemone, anemone. <laughs> and I will I'll float over them and I'll be like, look at you little guy. Like you're a little dude. Look, just sitting on the rock, always there, just on the rock. And it's that, that is the, gateway to i mean that's emerge with aloha i go in and it's I, I, I characterized it at one point like realizing that if i were looking if i went out looking for turtles i would never find them the only time the turtles ever appeared um was when i was not when i had abandoned the search for turtles and had decided i was just going to float around and look for yellow fish or look at what i was looking at is what it is basically look at what you're what, look at what you're seeing. See what you're looking at. And then the turtles always seem to appear. They always come over your shoulder and it's like, oh shit, I'm surrounded by turtles. Holy, you know. If I, if I go out and look for them, I'll spend all day looking for them and never find one. But that, like, don't look for anything. Don't search for anything. Just, just see what you're seeing. Look, look where you're looking. 
And it's always the anemones that are the that are the thing that uh, I guess that's where I emerge with aloha. I go in with no aloha and and I think that's my whole that's the that's what I'm trying to do in my 50s in every aspect of my life is to go with the flow and emerge with aloha. Now, John, normally we would gracefully end the show there, and that would be the cue for us to hear the uh, Star Spangled Banner, and people would all stand and put their hand over their heart and everything else. But in, before we do that... But then you and I would normally transition to our after show. We would do the pa- after show, yes. Patreon-only so, after show. Yes. And so instead of doing the Patreon-only after show right this moment... My suggestion is uh, let's talk a little bit about the t-shirts that we're doing because we're going we're gonna to be doing some t-shirts. And I put, for all of the patrons, uh, I put up a little post on the Patre- Patreon that says, hey, we're going to do t-shirts. We need your help. Give us some suggestions. Um, oh, good. Last time we had the John sitting on his truck t-shirt and we had the Going that. Places gang shirt and we want to do something different. And so... Uh, I wanted to read all of these suggestions uh, to y'all so that the audience can, you know, weigh in. But maybe this will be an incentive because I'll tell you what, first of all, all the patrons, they're the only ones who are going to get to contribute their ideas. Anyone who's not a patron, they're just going to have to accept the decision. It's kind of like, you know, Congress, like the, the patrons are their elected representatives because they were willing to give us a few bucks. Sure, so sure, their sure. votes count. So if you want your vote to count and you have an idea for a shirt or something, by all means, become a patron at patreon.com slash roadwork. Mm-hmm. And uh, then your vote will be counted. And I don't know, are we going to get, maybe we send their shirts first. Maybe we let them, maybe they get better shirts. Maybe they get like high, qu- well, higher quality. I don't know. I don't know how this works. <laughs> like the regular shirts are like really crappy and cheap. <coughs> but like if you're a patron, you get like really nice shirts. Like No, all of our shirts are going to be the same high oh, quality okay. shirts. High all right, quality. fine. We love all our listeners. You know, one of the things I've learned about Patreon is that it is a certain it is a certain culture. It's not for everybody. There are a lot of True. people that love the show, that listen to the show. Yeah, Patreon just isn't, you know isn't their thing. Yeah. And, and what we're trying to do is attract the, whatever that percentage of people who love the show and Patreon might be their thing. Mm. We're trying to encourage them to join the Patreon, but all of the people that Patreon just isn't their thing. We can't be, we can't be upset at them. I understand completely. You can't be, I can be upset if I want. Oh yeah. But you, you and I have very different emotional natures. It's true. It's very true. Anyway, so moving forward with our t-shirt idea, because I think yeah. our t-shirts are some of the best in the business, frankly, Dan. I, I, I love that you think that. I agree, too. I totally agree. Uh, so I said, hey, what would you like to see? All suggestions welcome. Go! And uh, we have a handful. So I'm going to read some of these to you, John, and see if these if these are any that you'd like. And I'm, I'm going to read them all to you because they're all interesting. Uh-huh. Um. Grant says, I'd like to see a roast beef sandwich. I'm ready. Okay. Brian, King Neptune. That's all Brian said. King Neptune. Eric says, sure. who, who here remembers the Fluffernutter debates? Oh, um, yeah. And I think maybe traffic cones with the American flag. 
Then uh, Jason says, how about, quote, the internet tried to cancel me and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. That's very funny, but I'm not going to wade into that. I, I didn't think you would, I'm, I, but I told you I'm going to read all of these. Jacob says, a dented half-opened can of beans. Oh, nope. Uh, Drew says, King Neptune seems appropriate. Neil says, how about t-shirts that people outside of the U.S. can buy more easily? And, yeah, that's uh, always a trick. That's always yes. A- and so Neil, we, we hear you. We hear you. Um, we hear you. Uh, Dave says the dynamite guy. Dynamite guy. Some I don't know. I didn't catch the reference. Bear says an illustration of the classic blurry Bigfoot hoax photo, but it's John. <laughs> 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 and uh, by the way, that's not a hoax. That's real. So shame on you, Bear. I like that. Um, then, um, let's see, um, uh, Misha, who's here in Austin. Hi, Misha. She, uh, she says, um, keep a small bag packed. Dan and John silhouettes with roadwork text. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then, um, uh, John, who is a listener that we have in Japan, who has just done a huge solid for me on another show by going to eat some bizarre Japanese McDonald's food says, um, Seattle to Austin Cannonball Run, John Ooh. and Dan's barbecue truck, something about the Austin GMC RV club with a broken down RV, and then, quote, between two Derricks with Dan and John, mm. uh, to which Jeff responded and said, I love the Cannonball Run. Dave says, John and Dan talking using two cans on a string, uh, sketch style drawing of the show cover photo. That would be cool too. Uh, David says, an eel on a wallet labeled roadwork. An eel on a wallet. What is that a reference to? Is that something we ever we talked about? That? No, but it's a uh, it's part of the the. Um, I is mean, it I Gary's feel Van like thing. What is that? Yeah, the the. Um, <clears throat> Why don't I know what that is even a reference to? You know the 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 people that listen to this whole uh, constellation of podcasts. Yeah, there are a lot of. There are a lot of people that are, that have come into this world through back to work, yes, and through the five by five network, but also you know the Merlin sphere. Mm-hmm. And well, I've heard these two terms: the Merlin sphere and the Roderick verse. Ah, and you know, there's all this overlap, right? Uh, John Circusa and mm-hmm. so forth, and Scott Simpson. I mean, we're all uh, Hodgman. This kind of universe of podcast people that overlaps, but within the Roderick verse, mm-hmm. which encompasses Gary's van and now the the discourse group from my right. Patreon group and the people that are, I mean, all the many, many. There's a, there are Reddits mm-hmm. and Discords, and I salute you all. But a long time ago, I introduced the idea that all of these, uh, all of the different ways that the modern sort of uh, intellectual property leasing economy, uh-huh. where you no longer buy Microsoft Word, you lease it right. and pay them yeah. to use it, which yes. is just, I, I will never like it. No. Um, I understand that you, you, know, you pay a Netflix subscription. Mm-hmm. But I remember sitting in Jonathan Colton's living room and saying like, oh, do you have, I don't remember what, Hulu or something. And Jonathan said, my philosophy is I just subscribe to everything at the 
at whatever the rate is. And I consider all of it a business expense, but rather than spend time sitting there trying to figure out, do I have this? Do I have that? Am I, you know, I just subscribe. I subscribe Mm. to everything and I just consider it part of the cost of modern life. Right. And I was like, do you subscribe to the Washington Post online? Because I constantly am following links to the Washington Post and it's behind a paywall. And he's like, I just subscribe to everything. If I come, if I come to a paywall, I, I subscribe to it. And what it felt to me was like those pictures of a, of like a whale shark and it's covered with remora, right? Like these little sucker fish, little, uh, little, little barnacles that attach themselves to you, but they're more active than barnacles. They're, you know, they're actively like, they're leeches. And I described them as eels. I said, they're eels that attach themselves to you. All these little death by a thousand cuts, these little charges. Um, and, and more and more, it seems like that's what business thinks is the sustainable model. We're never going to sell you anything anymore. We're just going to charge you every month for it. And if we, if we find that sweet spot of like what the cost is that you will consider insignificant enough to bear, right? Uh, it's, they just attach another eel to you. Mm, okay. So now, you know, now the Patreons there's within the, within the Roderick verse, mm-hmm. you know, there's that, I, I think in the, for the most part, everybody appreciates it whimsically mm-hmm. that there's a, there are these eels we attach to ourselves that are positive that we do voluntarily. Like I'm going to give $5 a month to this person that I think is good because I like their work. And so it's the flip side of this, of this lease economy where you're kind of entering into that relationship. And I think that's what that is a reference to Yeah, a wallet with an eel on it. And it's meant, it's meant whimsically. It's not, that's not a chastisement. That's because we're all conscious of it. Like we're asking you to subscribe to our Patreon, not because we are trying to lease you Microsoft word. Right. But because you recognize that you're, that this is a cons, you know, that there's a, that that's part of the reciprocality of the relationship of, of getting free podcasts from people. Yeah. Andrew says, the simpler, the better. What does that mean? I I think he means the simpler the the T-shirt, the better it would be, I'm guessing. Does does he just mean like road work, just one word? That's what I think he's thinking. Road work with Dan and John? Yeah. John John says, technical drawing of a can opener. Oh, dear. I think they don't realize that you want to move on, but I think they mean it in a good way. But yeah. um, we don't and need all of those things. I think of those suggestions. <laughs> I think if my if my hot take, if my personal take on Bean Dad was that uh, that it was a grave injustice that I was going to take head on and try and be funny about it, um, all of those would be great suggestions. But you know, my my take on Bean Dad is is that I'm not. Uh, it's I done. Don't really, it's done. It's done, and I and I don't feel like it was a grave injustice. I feel like it was an event. And, um, not one to, not one to mock or, right. It's or done. It, it was repurpose. here and, and now it's gone. That's right. 
Okay. Um, this one I, I have to read because it's, um, I'll just read it. There's uh, I love, I love it. I love the idea. I love the time that Ian put into this one, but, um, we don't, I'll just read it because I said I would read them all. All right. <clears throat> Ian says, I'd love to see a shirt of Ben attacking a giant tarantula with a broom in his driveway as John cowers behind him in mortal fear. I'm pretty sure that's the closest thing to actual road work that has ever been discussed on the show. Uh, ben. Ben. When ben. Ben fights the, fights the, the yeah. spider while I'm cowering. Right. Brian says something with a ravine. Mm-hmm. Corey a ravine a ravine's very hard to uh, artistically <laughs> re, re, represent, wouldn't you say? It's hard uh-huh. to. Uh-huh. And uh, Corey writes, uh, and just bear bear with me for this one. Okay. Corey writes, John and Merlin okay. in fluorescent reflective construction gear, complete with hard hats, Jack hammering away, illustrated or in real life <laughs> to which I replied. I said, I think you're thinking of a different show, which of course the, I think you're thinking of is a back to work bit uh-huh. to which Corey replies. Whoops. Yes, indeed. Mr. Benjamin, of course, my favorite of all the J rod co-hosts. And then uh, someone named Tommy says, Hey Dan, I'm a designer illustrator and whipped up this idea. And it is a, um, you know how in, in olden times on TV stations, if there was a problem or, um, or something like that, where they would have a station interruption or something, a, you know, a technical issue, um, and you have the sort of test pattern, yes. but instead of the, uh, native American in the test pattern in place of that is, um, is a little, a little John Roderick looking down. <laughs> uh, so let me show you this one. I don't, uh, and he, he says, you know, he said, I, I have sent it to you via text message. Okay. Um, and he said, if we liked it, he was happy to, you know, finish it up if that's something that we want. So those are the ideas. We would love to hear all of yours as well. Um, you can, uh, you can find that if you're a patron, it's the most recent post and get in there and give us your ideas and, and tell us what you think. Tell us what you'd like to see. And it, we're not, promising that we're going to do any of them, but we'd love to hear about it. I think, wouldn't you? Well, no. So here's a question. I've just realized that you can, uh, there are, you know, you can, Oh, I like that road work. Uh, it's, with it's the, clever, isn't it? Um, there are, there are ways you can post something to the Patreon site that's visible to everyone, not just the subscribers. Um, you can you post a it. quick, quick shower or something. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, uh, just, <laughs> Turn the sink on. Uh-huh. Um, which, which uh, for you, a sink is actually a, a regular-sized person's full stand-up shower. That's yeah, a sink. I was, I was taking a little <laughs> sink shower. But if you, uh, if you posted it in, on the Patreon, but in a way that was visible to everyone, then all of the people listening who were interested in the T-shirt, uh, the t-shirt plan could go there and look at the different pardon me look at the different ideas yeah and designs that people were proffering right so do you think you could make that that post public i believe that i just did um okay so that's patreon.com slash roadwork yes patreon.com slash roadwork and i'll put it i'll actually put that link into the show notes so everyone can see it now i don't 
believe that people can comment on it unless I have made, I've done everything that I can do here to make it public. It is public, but I don't know that I can actually make it editable, if you will, by, by the public. So people can come in and look at it, but I'm hoping that people who are not patrons will look at it and say, I have to add my idea to this. I have to. And then they'll go and become a patron and then add their idea and then get the shirt that they, because their idea was so good that we have to make it. Yes. Well, that, that, that is the, that's the way that you can go see it. If you're not a patron, it's, it's there, patreon.com slash roadwork. And then once yes. you're there, if you feel like, uh, you're just one more step away or just one simple step away from becoming a patron, then we've made it that easy, that much easier for you. Correct. So that's it. That's all we're going to do today, John. That's all right. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're going to peace out. I feel like it was a success again. It was a success. So when, um, so we'll, we'll we be doing, oh, you're staying, you're staying. Can you say this on the area? You're staying a little longer out there in uh, Hawaii. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But next Thursday is a travel day. So I mm. will not be able to do our show unless we do it on Tuesday. Like we did last week. I like the idea of that. Let's plan to do it Tuesday. Same way we did, uh, last time we really will figure it out but yes let's okay. definitely do it tuesday okay good i'm into it all right well very good thank you dan it's been right. uh it's been fun as per always yes sir i'll talk to you very soon enjoy hawaii thank you 